do I charge a car? Can I charge it in the rain? How far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, a podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Communications Director at Electric Mobility Charging Services Provider Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. And it's hard to believe, but with 2019 rapidly coming to an end, so too will our first full year of this show. Joining me in the studio to reflect and ruminate is co-founder of many things, including this podcast, Peter Badi. Hi, Aaron. So if you're ready for our refresher course on the year in electric mobility developments, sit back, get into echo mode, and enjoy the ride. Hey, Peter. Here we are, back in the studio where it all started, remember? Ah, yeah. Yeah, somehow I can. (laughs) 2019 was a pivotal year, not just in electric mobility, but also first full year of the Life of Electric Avenue podcast. Our first episode dropped in November 2018, so it's close enough. We're considering it a part of the year. Today's episode, 12... 13. Aha. Oh, you're right. 13 months later, we're going to go look at some of the themes and moments which defined 2019 and the last month of 2018 in the field of electric mobility. So let's go back to the beginning then. A year ago, at the end of 2018, a journalist from Reuters emailed asking if there's anything happening with electric mobility in the Central Eastern European region. Remember that, Peter? We were there at our team building in uh, Hata somewhere. Yeah, sure. I think we did an interview in my room, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. We had to leave because there wasn't enough space for us to have a private conference room. Yeah. So we'd already been thinking about doing something to, you know, spread the debate more of a less carbon intensive way of meeting and talking with colleagues and experts out there. And uh, this was the final push to do it, right? After this, we're like, people don't know. We need to be spreading this message and getting this information out there. So to help educate people about the e-mobility developments taking place in this region, we launched this podcast. And we started with a whole series of shows looking at the landscape of an electric mobility in other countries in the Central Eastern European region. Around uh, 5,000 euros. So if you buy a brand new uh, electric vehicle in Hungary, you get that support. Oh, Warren, do you remember all countries we covered? Yeah, I think so. Um, but we did Slovakia, right? Ah, Where sure. we are, of course. Hungary, neighbor to the south. And then uh, Ukraine, which we learned a lot in that episode. Uh, Poland, neighbor to the north, where Greenway also operates, and Slovenia. Didn't we forget Bulgaria? Ah, shoot. You're right. To 18 episodes, you know, you might forget a thing or two here and there. Those who have the cars are always complaining about the chargers because the chargers are free. People like to overuse them. So those people who actually really need the charger often don't find an available charger. But this is going to be fixed when the network operators start to... You're hearing Tibor Antoloshi. He's an EV enthusiast and a journalist from Hungary. And that was from the episode we recorded over a year ago. So, Peter, really briefly, I mean, you know the most about e-mobility in this region. Where are we now in, say, Slovakia, Hungary? There's a lot of charges pop up in Hungary in the last year, and there are more on the way. And we will be probably as well part of this uh, story and uh, rollout in Hungary. In Slovakia, well, interesting thing is, what we mentioned last time, is a uh, subsidy. And uh, just right now, uh, today, actually, when we are recording, uh, there will be a first day when you can uh, subscribe for a subsidy. So we are really... Uh, interested how it's going to work. Now, that's going to be really interesting to see if how that affects the numbers of uh, EVs registered in this country. 
And it's funny you mentioned that because a year ago we were talking a lot about OEMs being resistant to bringing more electric vehicles on the roads, the lack of ability to buy a vehicle, how long it might take to actually from the moment of purchase to the moment of a delivery, you know, eight, nine months. And who's going to wait for that and much less pay those costs? It was a recurring theme. I know stories of companies who inquired about buying electric vehicles for the corporate fleets, and they couldn't really do it because, you know, dealers were not able to provide that many vehicles. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's what's happening. There aren't enough cars and there isn't enough willingness on behalf of a sufficient number of people to to go ahead. We are not a priority market. So quite often what happens is that people are discouraged. Yeah, it was. It was the biggest team uh, at the beginning of uh, 2019. And uh, things has changed, I would say. I only remember that we had a team building uh, about uh, three weeks ago and I was presenting the outlook for 2020. And I was much, much more optimistic as it was uh, on a team building a year ago. And it's really happening. So at the moment, we have about 13 models of electric vehicles available in our country. We're expecting to have 42 in uh, one year. And there was only five at the beginning of this year. Could be. So what happened? Around this time a year ago, December 2018, the European Parliament was debating new CO2 standards bill. We really wanted to help it advance. We were watching environmental ministers and governments from this region and other car producing countries pushing for the lower standards. And so we made our second episode on the topic of the CO2 bill. We wanted to help educate people about the bill and raise support uh, for, us, for it. Just like, uh, so every, that was the focus of our second episode. Name. This is a car's CO2 law or an electric car law, depending on Expert how in the field, Julia Poliskanova, Director of Clean Vehicles from NGO Transport and Environment, was our guest. This is a key European law that will bring down the emissions from all the cars around Europe, but also really define the speed and pace of transition in Europe towards electric vehicles. Today, road transport is the largest source of CO2 emissions in Europe. And actually, cars are around two-thirds of that. So without actually reducing the emissions from that sector, we cannot and will not meet our climate goals and will not adhere to the Paris Climate Agreement. Yes, and at the end, it passed. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. I'm not sure what role our podcast played in the passage of the bill, but clearly it was... Big one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> clearly it was instrumental. On December 17th of 2018, the agreement was reached between the Parliament, the Commission, and the Council of Ministers to set binding CO2 emissions targets for new passenger vehicles by 15% in 2025 and 37.5% in 2030, according to 2021 base levels. The bill has been critically important. And here's Julia again, this time just a few weeks ago in November 2019, after the bill has already come into effect. More and more cars are coming. The, the EU CO2 standard, the famous 95 grams per kilometer is finally kicking in next year, means uh, loads and loads of affordable, well-performing vehicles on European roads as the car industry will have to sell those vehicles to meet the targets, mm -hmm. finally. So all good news for consumers and, and the regulations also finally begin to, to have effect. Yes, and actually it was probably one of the last moments when the regulation came. You may remember that in earlier in fall 2018, United Nations uh, Panel on Climate Change released the report saying that we need to radically change and decarbonize our energy system in order to keep planetary warming within one and a half degree Celsius. And we have a very short period of time. So I think the regulation came in the last moment. And I think that that report changed everything. The whole tenor of the debate that we're having, a lot of the actions that we see around us, I mean, certainly it scared the hell out of us. 
So the next stop for Electric Avenue was the COP24, the United Nations Climate Conference in Katowice, Poland, the heart of former coal country. You went there to share Greenway's work in building an electric vehicle charging network. But Aaron, you haven't been there. No, that's true. That's true. I wasn't there, but uh, I was home to be there for the birth of my son, which was which was amazing. Uh, and yeah, the right choice. Well, you missed that. Um, it happened anyway, and you made a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So while you were there, you had some really interesting debates on important topics like the economic impacts of the switch to electric and European energy capacity needs in a much more electrified future. The snowball has already started rolling. So... The lead times in the auto industry are long, but pretty much everyone is now kind of revamping their lineups. And you will start seeing the effects of that with fully electrified lineup of products between 2020 and 2020. This is Peter Carlson, the CEO of Northvolt. He was on a panel with you. A lot of products being available. And that's also when we see a tremendous hockey stick of demand going up. We estimate that Europe in seven years will, on its own, need to support the auto industry, will need roughly 200 gigawatt hours of, of battery capacity, which equals to six of these uh, factories that we are building. And as a reference point, you know, the European car industry is roughly 20 million vehicles a year. So, in order to fully transform uh, into electrification, we would need somewhere around 40 of these factories. In so that's a lot of storage capacity needed and a lot of energy needed as well. And Peter, do you remember what you replied to him about electric vehicle charging infrastructure serving as a bridge between the batteries in the vehicle and the electricity grid? Sure, yeah, I do, I do. I replied exactly what you said. We, as a manager of a charging infrastructure, are here and will be here to connect all these batteries to the energy system and create one interconnected energy system which works together with uh, electric vehicles. Have you seen developments on that over the course of the year? Yes, sure. I see still more and more projects coming in with uh, large batteries combined with a uh, charging infrastructure or charging hubs. We did as well one uh, of the projects like this. Uh, we mentioned it in uh, previous episodes. And it's not only us. It's uh, still more and more companies from our field working with uh, battery storages and uh, charging infrastructure. Yeah, I see that too. It certainly seems like it's one of the trends over the course of the year and something we're going to need to keep following to see the developments uh, as they happen. From the conference hall, the next went to the streets. Another massive consequence of the IPCC report was the unleashing of the quiet, intense fury of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish climate activist who's now become famous and has galvanized protests worldwide against the lack of adequate action to address the climate crisis that we're confronting and the planet that we're going to be passing to our children and future generations. In September 2018, she started skipping school and protesting in front of the Swedish parliament. She posted videos on Instagram and Facebook and they went viral and they launched the school climate strikes and the Fridays for the Future movement. For us as, as young people, it is really just to raise our voices, like I said, and make them realize that by doing nothing, they're participating in really making the future of young people unclear and unsafe. 
Electric Avenue attended and participated in some of the marches here in Bratislava. We went there both to cover them, to amplify their voices, and to support the activists. I think we are already on a level where we have to push towards governments and toward big corporations to stop emissions and change, flip the switch, like you say, and, and change to more sustainable product making and, and development and economic, for example, like uh, electric cars. And just recently, a month ago, I spoke with European Commission Vice President Maros Shevchevich, author of the Clean Energy Package, about the new European Commission and what its priorities are regarding the environment. According to him, 25% of the overall budget of the European Union in the next session will go to projects with an environmental focus. And the reason why they chose this priority was clear. I think if it comes to young generation and, and millennials, I think they are the most ever generation if it comes to the climate change. And I have uh, three children from 30 to 20. I meet a lot of their friends. And very often even, I would say, the conversation topic over the beer is about uh, about the environment. And it's completely mm-hmm. different than it was in my age. I see that, uh, that there is a lot of uh, interest in car sharing schemes, uh, in um, all these, I would say, new platform economy. and. Uh, recycling and uh, reuse and um, all that I think it's uh, very often I would say the part of the lifestyle of the young generation so I think they're much more aware than we are and I think we clearly have to use that wave of interest and support and bring the necessary business solutions and technologies uh, which would make the expectations and readiness to embrace this new lifestyle to be the proper solution. It's a clear message it's important for us people it's important for them policymakers. Electric industry is going through the radical transformation these days. The whole topic of the energy transition is broader than our areas of electric vehicles and batteries and charging infrastructure. And so to really understand how energy generators and electrical utilities think and talk about these issues, Peter, you and I went to Florence, Italy for the Euroelectric Power Summit. The annual conference of the European electricity sector. Yeah, and it was very interesting experience for me, I have to say. You know, this conference was not specifically about the renewables or electric vehicles, where we, you know, kind of conferences we are going all the time. But it was about electricity sector as a such. And I was extremely surprised and positively surprised how our topics, renewables, electric vehicles, are in the center of the debate. They are not anymore somewhere on the edge as a agenda they need to pay attention because it's interesting but it was in the center because it's agenda which is important for all the major european electricity sector players here's the ceo of one of europe's largest energy generators vattenfall from sweden yeah fossil free fossil free sorry vattenfall ceo magnus hall has also recently just become the new president of Euroelectric, making him one of the most influential men in energy in europe today we caught up with him right after he took the helm of Euroelectric. Um, You have a commitment to fossil-free living within one generation. Please explain how that's going to happen. Well, first of all, let me explain why we talk about the generation, because it's when the kids who are born today get their kids, and we really think it's a question about the next generation and the commitment to the next generation. Uh, We don't want them to worry about that. But if we look at ourselves, we do it along you know, several lines. One line is to make sure that we become fossil-free in our own energy production. And we have a lot of heat today, which is mainly based on coal and gas, which we have to find a replacement for. That is a big challenge. And we're working on electrification. We're working on third-party sources, more waste incineration, and lots of different things that we're trying then over time to replace the fossil base on. 
But then we're also working in electrification transportation. Two lines you can say. One is to create charging infrastructure for the uh, regular e-mobility, the regular cars. But then we're also working on uh, sort of for the truck side. We have an e-road, we call it, where you can actually take electricity out of the road and you can charge at the same time. We believe that for lorries it might look different, that you want to charge while you're driving in certain points, at least the long distances. And I can say also the reason why this has come up as a big thing for us is also that the Swedish energy system doesn't emit any CO2. But we still have a CO2 issue in Sweden. And then we looked into how can we participate in solving those issues, not in our own backyard, but delivering it to our customers. And there we have, for instance, uh, now we're preparing fossil-free steel together with a mining company and a steel company, I think is well known. So we think there, you know, for us to do new business on that side, those three areas, heating, transportation and, and industry, is a great complement to ourselves also solving our own problem. And we see immense business opportunities. Yeah, that was striking. I mean, especially given that a lot of these companies still have really large fossil concerns, they have reliability responsibilities, but still they see a pathway to decarbonize. Yes, they do. And I think they have clearly recognized the switch to the renewables and more sustainable energy production and use as a opportunity, not a threat and not a cost, but rather something where they can earn the money, where they can focus their business case uh, in the future. Yeah, I definitely. And I think another thing that jumped out from that conference was another sort of trend that I think we're seeing play out over the course of last year, which was utilities increasingly getting involved in distributed energy storage and looking at electric vehicles and charging infrastructure as a business model and a business opportunity for them as well. Yes, indeed. I think they understand the speed of a changing of innovation in energy sector is speeding up and they need to react and they want to react because they want to see this fundamental changes as a kind of opportunity, not a threat. Yeah, well, you know, we were definitely, it was fascinating. I, I think so as well. And uh, we were on the outside in the sense, as you said, for being in our industry, but we weren't the only ones there from the electric vehicle charging world. Uh, we also met with Pasquale Romane, the CEO of ChargePoint. He was there too, for similar reasons. So why we're here is we can't do this by ourselves. The energy industry needs to innovate as much as our industry needs to innovate. And we need to, especially for businesses, fleets, etc., have packaged energy products that also contemplate charging infrastructure in that packaging to make it easy to adopt. Because remember, none of this infrastructure is in the right place right now. You mean the charging infrastructure? Yeah, so the charging and the utility infrastructure for that matter, because a car consumes as much energy in the United States as half a house. In Europe, it consumes as much energy over the course of a year as an entire house. So the new CO2 standards that we mentioned earlier came into force in spring of 2019, and by the summer, their effect was becoming clear. Transport and Environment put out a report entitled EV Surge. Then you had announcements coming from the OEMs themselves. In September 2019, only three months ago, Daimler announced the end of research and development into combustion engines, and they also said that they're going to offer electric versions of all of their models by 2022. And also Volkswagen announced first 22 billion euro into investment into electrification. And they keep coming out with further announcements of big, really market shifting, market meaningful investments into vehicle electrification. So, Peter, you know, first, why is this happening? And second, I mean, has the bottleneck that we were talking about earlier been broken for good? 
Mm, I hope so. Uh, why is it happening? I think there are two things. The first is technology improvements, the cost of battery fall down. You know, uh, all the major OEMs already have all the technology to produce a good electric vehicle. So there is no uh, technology barrier, I would say. Naturally, they need to adjust the production processes and procurement process and everything. But uh, I think it's it's already happening and it should bring a first fruits now. A second is a regulation, obviously. And uh, we know that the 2020 is going to be the first year when they are really going to pay if they are not going to meet the famous 95 gram standard. So I strongly believe that uh, it will uh, bring uh, really uh, more electric vehicles on the roads. I think we will have a new model that's given because so as we said, we are coming from maybe 16 models now to 42 pure battery electric vehicles available on our markets. So we will have a new models. What is extremely important to watch in 2020 is if it will come as well with the volumes. So if I go to the shopping room and order the car, it's going to be delivered in a reasonable time, if there's going to be any restriction on the volumes or not. So if this will happen, I'm sure we will have models. I'm sure we have the demand. Question is if the OEMs and car producer will be able to fulfill this demand in terms of the number of delivered pieces. Mm-hmm. And all of these vehicles with a higher charging capacity and bigger batteries are able to accept a lot more power. So another trend that we saw this year and heard a lot about at work was the increasing move towards higher powered charging. So it's a major trend in the industry and we even did a special episode on it a few episodes back. So check the archive. Yes, Aaron, it is. Uh, it is and uh, definitely the higher speeds are here and we need to reflect that and we, uh, Greenway as well build uh, not only 50 kV DC charges but going to 100, 150. Even we are building a 350 kV uh, DC charges. But honestly, I think the uh, development is a little bit different as we thought about three years ago. There was a big hype about 350 at that time. And uh, everybody thought that this is something where we need to do a lot and we need to build a 350 network in Europe. I see that uh, maybe the necessity for this is a little bit postponed. It's not so urgent. And uh, there's not that many vehicles that can handle that much power. There's sort of no need for that, not to mention the other. Indeed, indeed. And uh, we see that even the top level luxury vehicles uh, has a top speed charging somewhere around 150, maybe 175. So we see that that's probably now the best way to uh, improve some locations, bring more power, but not 350, but maybe 150, maybe up to 200 maximum, and uh, serve the customers which are on the road now. We see as well uh, a lot of mid-size and small cars coming on the market, which is very good because it's uh, you know it shouldn't be only about luxury cars; it should be as and well. Most people drive 40 yeah. kilometers in a day, and for them, 100 kV or 150 kV will be more than enough. And as you said, uh, they would do very high-speed charging. Uh, there's a problem with a connection, the fees you need to pay the for the connection. connection. you mean, and the fees exactly. to the grid. Great, I was just going to ask this question. Exactly. So what we see more is to give people more option for charging on one place, to rather put more charges in uh, and not necessarily with completely very high power, but rather create a kind of a hub where they have more opportunity. They could be sure that uh, if they come, the vehicle is charged. So there might be a lot of power coming to one location, but at that location, there will be a number of different types of charging stations. Exactly. Maybe some AC chargers, uh, 50 kilowatt DC chargers, and even some 150s all in the same location. Exactly. And that's what we thinking and we're discussing from the very beginning. Uh, The charging, it will be very complex. There will be various types of a charger for various needs. Even in the same location, the people could have completely different needs if they come 
just for 20 minutes shopping or they go to the cinema for three hours. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be really interesting. I mean, like you said, this 350 was this sort of a lodestar three years ago. It was written into a lot of project proposals and it was talked about a lot by policymakers. But now we're there and deploying it and sort of seeing all of the that maybe it was more than needed to be and learning a lot in the process. So this year has been really interesting in terms of learning about all of the, let's say, technical elements and needs going into higher powered charging. And it'll be even more interesting to watch next year as people develop more experience, more real world experience with these applications and and what is actually needed. Somehow it works a little bit other way around. Usually when you do the first thing, it's tough and then it's easy afterwards. And I have the little bit opposite feeling to to build the first charger somewhere, to build the first infrastructure. It was somehow easier than than it's becoming now. It's becoming more and more complex sometimes, uh, which is good. We need to accept it. And basically for us, it's a business opportunity because we believe that we are able to navigate our company in this complex world. But yeah, it's interesting. That's true. That's funny. It is it is the reverse of most things. Right? You'll teach yourself carpentry. That first <laughs> that first bookcase is probably the worst one. But yeah. uh, then you, hopefully you get better. But in this business, it's definitely different. The final trend that we really saw changing the industry in 2019 were the major leaps in battery technology and the reduction in prices of batteries. The benefits here accrue to both in-vehicle batteries and also stationary batteries. From the announcement made by Tesla researchers of a million-mile battery back in September, to the research and reports by Bloomberg New Energy Finance on battery technologies and developments and the supply chain, these developments are being well chronicled. But Electric Avenue did special coverage of some stationary batteries which augment charging infrastructure and provide on-site energy storage. We have a little special access because of our Greenway connection. And so here's Greenway's head of research and development, Mario Paroja, talking about this technology. Yeah, we are trying to upgrade chargers to higher powers. Why? Because we want to save time of our users. And what are we doing? Uh, from 50 kilowatt, which is common standard in Europe and also in our infrastructure till today, we are upgrading to 100 or 150 kilowatts, meaning we are doubling and tripling uh, power there and speed of charging. These devices are boosting the grid or make energy buffer to the grid on location when electric capacity is not enough. So we support this grid with energy from our batteries. And of course, uh, it's not just battery, it uh, requires also power electronics and power management system with very interesting and always in development algorithm, which can uh, solve different tasks for us and for grid. So Peter, when this episode aired, Greenway only had one such unit in operation. And now how many do we have? At the moment we have seven and we are going to add some more after the winter when the weather conditions will be better. Well, I have to say not everything went smoothly when we deployed that, but it was a lot of learning and uh, I'm really happy that we went through it because uh, it gains us a lot of knowledge about this. And when you say about this, what do you mean? About the deployment of the stationary batteries in uh, an energy management of the uh, charging hubs is actually becoming a very, very important topic. As we said, deploying a first charger on the location is usually quite simple. But as soon as you need to deploy more and different types, it's becoming more and more complex. And that's one of the capabilities which we need to build and want to build is for the future of electric mobility to deploy a large number of charging possibility in one location we will need the energy management system we will need sometimes as well deploy the stationary battery and that's why we want to understand how to do it 2019 was a pivotal year for electric mobility so what's next 
Already, Europe is announcing that more than a quarter of its massive budget will go to climate-related projects, and the European Investment Bank is changing its investment standards to be much more climate-friendly. Sadly, in the reverse direction, the United States has announced its intention to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. COP25 is concluding its first week, and Peter is awaiting his new Skoda eCityGo, an otherwise sold-out production line. So there's a lot more to come in 2020 when these new electric vehicle models hit the ground. Well, another year of the 12 that the IPCC has given us will pass, and the energy transition is continuing and deepening. More and more people will be touched by all of these topics as electric vehicles become more mainstream, as they enter increasingly into the mass market, and as charging infrastructure becomes more ubiquitous. So it's really important from our side to discuss, talk, debate these topics, and share this information, just like we did last year. So thank you all for joining us on this walk down memory lane and part update and part look to the future too. If you enjoyed it, please share this podcast to help others learn about these topics too. We'll be back at it again in 2020, providing a perspective from Central and Eastern Europe on all of these topics. So if there's something you want us to look into, definitely let us know. And if you're that journalist from a year ago or anyone wondering what's going on in this region electric mobility, tune in and we'll keep you informed. Next week, we'll be doing a little holiday special, behind the scenes or front of the mic, as we say, a show to tell you more about how our podcast is done and where we drew our inspiration from, how we choose topics, and how an idea becomes a 20-minute podcast that then ultimately ends up in your earbuds. It'll be fun, so check that one out, too. And if you like our show, it's most probably thanks to the excellent team of producers we have, Katarina Urban-Richterova and Oksana Ferencova, with support from Julia Birchakova. Last but not least, thanks to all you out there for listening. With that, it's Aaron. I'm here. And we're wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers and a wonderful new year. Peter's awaiting his new city, Skoda City Go. No, it's better to have a dry mouth, actually, so you're not all the time. Part nine, no? Yep, 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 part nine. That's my part. Ah, sorry.